Welcome to the 10th year of the Coach Joe Beer Multisport Podcast for triathletes, duathletes, sportive riders, road racers, time trialists, runners, mountain bikers and all fitness enthusiasts. Whatever your distance and whatever your event, this podcast aims to make you smarter and faster. We are supported by No Pin Supplies of Custom Club Clothing, Aero Cycle Clothing, Triathlon Apparel, all made in Devon. Innovators of the Speed Pocket, now in two versions, and the Tri Speed Belt, as well as many other products. Visit the website, nopins.com. Also supported by southforkracing.co.uk for all your biking needs with great brands such as Garmin, Continental, Tax, Park Tool, Power Bar, GoPro, Infocrank, Argon, loads of e-bikes, loads of bikes, come and buy your bikes. Visit safefootracing.co.uk. So I am Martin Crocker for this particular episode, <laughs> and I'm joined today once again by Joe Beer. Hello, Joe. Nice to see you. Mine? Uh, it's too weird. I can't do it. You can't, can't do it, can't you? No. I'll be you. You'd be me. No, 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 no. What's wrong with being me? No, no, there's nothing wrong with being you. It's just not knowing what you know makes it a lot harder. It's pretty easy to be me. No, it's not. Oh. You're a legend. <laughs> well, How are you? Very well, mate. And yourself? I am very well. Yes, okay, we are in February. We've turned the corner. Allegedly. We're going to call. We're going to call this episode. Um, what we're we going to call this episode? I reckon we call this episode something like. Winter corner turned. Turning of the tide. Turn of the tide, yes. Because there's definitely a sense that, what, ooh, half past five, we can see daylight, lighter in the mornings. On a sunny day, might be cold, but we've certainly seen the sun a bit more over the last few weeks. Uh, so, hmm. You've seen the sun more. Uh, a little bit, yes, <laughs> allegedly. Okay, uh, we had a response to, and I need to say it at the very top of this podcast, we had a response to the piece in last episode about the uh, blood donation, platelet donation. Um, it's a drawn-out affair. We resubmitted the podcast and took that particular item out. It appears that if you actually have uh, whole blood removed and then so plasma... So the question, the question that came in... Was about... From, from a listener yeah. was about donating blood and platelets. Yeah, it? which you can go back and listen to in the yeah. previous uh, podcast. And he then uh, had a, a few um, emails uh, with me and, and he said, you know, I'd had an email from UKD and they confirmed that... Um, that uh, you know, platelet donation um, you know was covered by their M one point one. Explain it, UK anti doping for starters. Yeah, UK anti doping. So you know the the head governing body of uh, all things connected with um, trying to yeah keep sport clean, but trying to also draw the line and where the line is. And the response that he got said uh, Section M 1.1 of the. 2018 WADA prohibited list states the following the administration or reintroduction of any quantity of autologous I can't say that um, allogenic homologous or heterologous blood or red blood cell products of any origin into the circulatory system that is that is off the records therefore platelet donations are prohibited under section M1.1 of the um, prohibited list um, 
as during the platelet donation process, blood is reintroduced into the donor's circulatory system following separation of the platelets. Um, whole blood donation where the blood is not reintroduced is permitted. And there was a, a few uh, backwards and forwards that uh, myself and, uh, and, and Richard had. And uh, it's a bit disappointing, really, that this process by an amateur athlete to help um, quite often to actually help uh, young babies. And I um, had a conversation recently. I can't think who it was specifically, but they spoke to me at length and we were talking about something and they, they told me all about what happened and they, they mentioned, Oh, they, they had loads of platelets and we didn't know whether they were going to live. Blah, 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 blah. And it came out that this person had been a direct recipient of platelets and it saved their child's life. Meanwhile, the amateur athlete that does this within a conventional mode, i.e. you're not just doing it off the, the, the bat, you're doing it via the, you know, the blood transfusion service, is technically breaking WADA's rules and therefore UK anti-doping. And hopefully at some point, like the, like the reintroduction of glycerol onto, uh, onto the allowed list, um, like the, I'm trying to think of another example where like the, you know, the, the, uh, the caffeine, you know, being taken off the, um, off the, you know, the, the band list that hopefully there will eventually be, and hopefully we can start or be part of the process. There can be a rethinking about how this stops people doing something for the much greater good than any gold medal, any world record, any performance that we're seeing either in the current Winter Olympics, next year's Tour de France, you know, the, the year after 2020 Olympics, this person was giving something that would save people's lives. And I do think it's a shame that he now, you know, I, I don't know what, what process he can go through because if he does sport and he has done that particular process, in theory, he's broken anti-doping rules, but he's actually doing it for the greater good. And he's not gaining from that process. So I do think there is a really gray area here where you're basically throwing the baby out with the bathwater because this guy's an amateur athlete with absolutely nothing to gain. And actually, he's giving something to, you know, the rest of the world. It, it, I mean, I can I can understand um to, to, to you guys listening out there, I can understand this is kind of uh, t not touched a nerve, but it's, it's kind of <laughs> yanked on Joe's chain because when he came back, uh, when obviously we were, we were off air, Joe came came back and, and you know, myself and Joe were having a bit of a, like an F and a Jeff really, weren't we, about how ridiculous this situation yeah, is. Yeah. Really, when someone wants to donate blood or platelets and wants to give what they have, you know, what they have in abundance to to somebody or a child, you know, somebody that hasn't got it or needs it. To stay alive, not to get a medal, not no. to get a record, to stay alive. To, to only then <clears throat> be told that, yeah, effectively you could be infringing. Well, you're not, you are, you are effectively crossing the, the 
anti-doping inverted commas lines. So, do you think these I, people don't get out of their little box and they haven't realised that out there, you know, gold medals great, records great, stand on the podium great, but there's people out there. There's doctors, there's firefighters, there's average people saving lives and needing blood products and needing lots of things. And you know, we're always seeing quite horrible things in the news, and there's always detrimental things that relate to doping. And there's plenty of stories at present that a lot of people could have quite strong opinions about. Hold on a minute. You know, doping seems to be different for certain people and for certain scenarios. But this person that's trying to not dope, they're trying to give back and they're doing it through a controlled environment of, if you like, the health service. They could potentially be called a cheat, whereas some of the cheats out there are managing to skirmish between the rules and get the OK. And he's actually doing good. And I don't I don't know what the outcome is for him. And I wanted to say that was the reason why I removed it from the podcast, because um, I removed my glycerol information when when it was um said that you know it was no longer legal because it could help doping and it has been since proved um, rubbish and you can use glycerol products for hyperhydration but this i think there's more to come with this because i think it is not seeing a the greater good or b the difference between you know a team a professional athlete a medalist somebody that's you know playing around with blood products or with you know products coming through the post to boost red blood cells or things like that this person's going somewhere having it you know monitored why why can't that be considered you know something whereby effectively you don't have a a tue you effectively say yes i did give my platelets and i got my red blood cells back and this was, you know, part of a um, official donation process and it was ratified through, you know, barcodes and all those things that they would be able to track his blood, in which case he's added to the health services, um, if you like, uh, resources off his own back. No extra, you know, benefit, no, no reason really that he's doing it to somehow gain. He's actually doing it because there's people out there that need it. And when this person said about it, and I cannot think for the life of me who it was, it really struck a chord that it reminded me, yeah, we've had this discussion, but this person was a direct recipient and their, their child actually is alive now as a result of the platelet donations. And if, if people didn't donate those platelets and we didn't have any, they'd be dead. Mm. Um, and, and, um, and I know it is now, and I can, I can tell you off air who it is because it just suddenly came to mind. And it was, it was such that you know, they were touch and go and it was only other people's platelet donation that that kept that child alive and the you know the the child is as as, as happy as anything but anyway i'm off the soapbox and we can carry on with it but we'll try and give you more news and if you have any instances of yes i've given it but you know but i don't give a monkeys or yes i was told i couldn't give it because i do sport up to this level or you know i've i've I, I don't know. I've um, been a recipient of it and it's helped me. I would like this to be a theme that we can somehow draw upon to actually do some good and, and, and see whether there is the possibility that something starts to be thought of outside of the realms of this massive sledgehammer that's trying to crack a nut that seems to be affecting a huge amount of amateur athletes okay making them write down their batch numbers of their supplements and make sure they don't touch anything that might be um harmful yes some of this makes sense but there's a lot of reactions 
at the amateur level and meanwhile the professional level can be seen to be a different world where things get brushed under the carpet or enough expertise brought in to say no it wasn't really the case it's okay let's carry on and amateurs are actually being affected by a very robust anti-doping strategy which i get but surely you go for the places where there is clear doping happening and you don't go where there's places of if you like little need and little interest in people doping they're they're often doing it for the greater good but we we also have to state that you know it is infringing the rules yeah if you while choose, they, whilst they stand whilst they yeah, currently as they are so but but yes first question and this is from gavin francis uh what does he say um oh yeah and he was one of the guys that you know suggested um uh that uh, your recent podcast suggested about athletes consider blood plasma donation um maybe altruistic but it seems to be clear contravention of wada so yeah we've kind of gone gone back over that um Here's one from Carl Fannon. Carl's in Australia. We've had questions from him before. Okay. Um, good age group athlete, listens uh, from down under. So he's uh, midsummer-ish, while we're midwinter-ish. And he says, hi, Joan Crockett. Just want your thoughts on what you believe are key bike and run sessions, either in or outside, for the 70.3 distance age group athlete. Um, that's near the pointy end of the age group. Love your work, Carl. Okay, so he's looking at key 70.3 age group sessions. I think lots of times anything that's key has to be key for that athlete. You know, the 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 one that doesn't quite find their run off the bike is good. Maybe they need to do some tempo sessions to get used to moving quickly under a slight state of duress. Other people, they just haven't got the bike mileage. And at the pointy end of age group racing, there still isn't a, you know, a unilateral ability level that everyone's all the same. You still get slightly stronger bikers, you know, really quick swimmers, and therefore thinking uh, he's probably in the, you know, the mid fours or something like that. You know, he's probably four hours-ish. At that point, there's still various ways to get to your four hour 30, four hour 50 outcome. And sometimes the, the most important key sessions are the ones that you know are going to give you some either low hanging fruit, but you don't really like doing that session, or they're the ones that are going to protect you from the weak link. If you're always getting injured, then the last thing we say is, right, you, you know, you've got to do this really key, you know, tempo run of uh you know five one mile repeats at you know at above race intensity because if you're somebody that falls apart every time they do high intensity running and they, and they really have to be very specific runs then clearly you've got to think about another way to do it maybe in a non-impact way um maybe you know kind of focus on body work and not the sessions it would be lovely to have those key sessions and i think there's certainly the requirement i would always say you know somebody for 70.3 has got to have you know the the endurance capability of of sort of three hours potentially maybe a little bit longer in terms of you know time on endurance sessions they've got to work um and that's biking not not running um 
they've got to work on their strength endurance with you know overgeared type strength work they've got to be able to run i would say you know a very solid 10 to potentially 15 mile long run not all the time but they've got that strength endurance because if you're racing at the pointy end you have to be able to race that 13 miler not just get it done and then swim wise you're only 400 meters over olympic distance so you have to still work on the outcome that you know swimming at a fairly high level in order that you can draft in the swim so you want to be on people's feet you therefore need to have a change of pace you need to be able to capitalize on the fact that the the bike still gives you time to partly recover from the swim you know you don't want to you don't want to get out the swim hammered but you do get out the swim move on to the bike and you can have a certain amount of recovery to the upper body and across those three things what is somebody not able to do or what is their body just not really built for? Are they a you know, more heavily set athlete and they've really got to work on their run economy and maybe even you know, losing a couple of kilos? Are they a, you know, a, a great, great biker, but they always lose time in the swim and they need to work on drafting and getting off the, getting off the starting point fast? Because don't you think it's about some of these weaknesses that we've got to look for the best sessions? I think you do. Well, I mean, you obviously you know better than than I. I know Joe, and you know with certain clients, I guess you know you get a bit a better picture. But with kind of longer distance running as well, um, we're very lucky. We have beaches, miles and miles of beaches here. So I used to find a benefit of running on sand. So I'm not not the soft stuff, mm. you know, kind of you know just where the the tide's going out or you know relatively. Uh, you know compact sand just if i wanted to do long i mean we can quite easily cover probably the best part of 10 12 15 mm. miles of beach here yeah, yeah. Um, and run on the sand all the way um so that that's another element is something softer so you know a change of scenery as well stop mm. it from from being tedious but i always used to find um for the sprint triathlons, I know it's 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 almost completely different for you know your your, your seventy point three, but I used to always find the um, you know doing brick sessions from coming off mm. the bike onto mm. the run. Mm. Um, what I used to do then is treat that as a bit of a speed session. Yeah. With that, um, but I used to do sets of five, so it used to be on the bike uh, for say just ten minutes, then off, and then it was a block run of about five to six minutes. Yeah. But relatively fast, and then. Like you said, I suppose you you just have to be a bit careful if you are yeah. prone to injury. Then... That gets you good at that gets you good at that sensation of the transition, and that yeah. is a that is a trainable effect. But part of the seventy point three, like any race, is getting the pacing across the respective disciplines bang on, and the shorter distance stuff could almost make you used to being able to go faster off the off the um, bike and start the run. But actually, you know, the first mile of the run. Is not going to be where you make it or break it. It actually is the first mile of your body getting used, used to, to yeah. having just done 90k, 56 miles. And it doesn't automatically become a runner. And therefore, the bricks may be an area where making your body used to slightly more effort between the disciplines allows you on race day when you're trying to be as controlled as possible, but try and make 
less time, not necessarily in the transition, but allow your body to transition between sports, sports. Yeah. more effectively. Quicker. And there are you know, people say, oh, it takes me ages to get, you know, to get ready um, to, to really feel like my running's um, coming good. And then you see what they do and they're, they're too used to running, um, often running, you know, nice, easy warm up, get into running and then start feeling good. They're not used to jumping off the turbo or off an outdoor bike session and starting to run quite quickly. And the 70.3 is still, for most people listening, you know, it's four and a half, five, five and a half, six hours. So there's an element of maybe not even the training, maybe the key session for some people is learning how to feed, learning how to digest an amount of fuel that allows them to go for four and five and six hours because your pace judgment (laughs) and your uh, motivation are a factor but you can't do that if you're not fueling correctly. So I think, you know, the, the, it's, it's back to the training, nutrition and technology. If all three of those areas are, um, are sort of optimised, out of that, some particular session or habit or perhaps even technology, and for some, 70.3 might be a distance where they say actually it is worth having a power meter. It does keep me in check. I can ride, you know, aero and firm, but I'm not going to overcook it because after 90K, I can have just ridden my legs into the ground and then I'm not going to be able to fake 13 miles. No, that's just, yeah, I was going to say And that's, that's it. You know, six miles is perhaps doable and you can still keep yourself going, but 13 miles, if you get off and you're already in bits because you've gone too hard, many people say, oh, I could have probably gone harder on the bike, but you know what? I had a great run. It's like, that's the key to triathlon. You know, can you finish the end of a triathlon with a great run? And the great run being relative to that person's um, ability. So good question, Carl. We don't have absolutes, but I think you have to look at what bits do you not be able to really get right and other people do seem to get right. And it may be that that's just the differences in the fact that at elite level, they tend to be, you know, the best people on the planet that have basically evolved to be good at that discipline. So they tend to be a very similar type ability. At age group, how you get to the finish can be quite different to the person finishing, you know, two minutes behind you or two minutes in front of you based on the ability that I suppose at the elite level, there's only one way to get there, like Ali Brownlee did, you know, in in, in 335. Um, You can only get there that quick by actually putting together you know, it's not, he ran a 69, he did a 158. I think the swim was something like a 22, 23. But it's almost like, well, he couldn't have swum a 27 and then ridden a 152 because you're starting to look at the limits of each individual thing. Whereas at age group racing, because it is proportionally slower than the elites, there's different ways to get to that end result. So some good age group runners can actually be not far off elite level. Some of the bikers, they can bike and only be a few minutes off the elite, but their run is considerably off the elite. So it's almost like, you know, an individual age group athlete can put together maybe one element at close to pro speed, though not quite, but that's their ace that's how they play their ace the other disciplines are solid but they're not clearly at the elite level because that's that's sometimes when i i I don't know maybe you'll disagree with me but sometimes training trying to train on your weaknesses sometimes rather knowing your weaknesses rather than training on your weaknesses because you know your weaknesses are your weaknesses and is Mm -hmm. it because you have ignored them if you've ignored them then yes you can you can incrementally get it better but if it is your weakness like if I, if you held your hand up and said doing triathlon, I would say the swimming was my weakest link by far. But then my 
bike riding and my running were relatively strong. So do I then concentrate on swimming? Do I add another session into the swimming? Do mm. I add more distance, more technique? Or is it going to be like it is? You know, it's, it's just, is it going to get so much better by me investing that much more time in it? Right, because I tell you, and, and there is an interesting analogy with that, that when the sprint distance race was announced to be draft legal, some people said, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to do that. Um, even if they change their swim training and swim more, they don't just get faster and faster and faster. So a lot of times I think weaknesses can be, you know, out and out, just pathetic weaknesses because we haven't trained for them and nobody can fake it. I mean, you cannot fake having not been in the pool on your bike or running. But whether something is a weaker part of your triathlon um, toolbox may be that you're, you know, not built for it, you've not got the skill set, um, or you haven't yet been able to establish enough training in that sport to be able to fully race to your potential. But not everyone's got the same end abilities. And that's yeah. why I say, like, yeah. you know, yeah. age groupers can still train, have quite similar people training, and still, you know, one, one, one guy or, or girl in the club can be a really strong biker, but they can't work out why they're not swimming as well. And it's like, well, your body's made for biking. Yeah. You can work on the swimming, and clearly work can always be done but it's how much persistence, how much does somebody want it to work? And you can certainly get to a better level than just sitting back and going, oh, it's my weakness, I'm not going to be good at it. It's like, well, it's straight away your weakness if you say you're not going to be good at it. If you chip away at making it less weak, it may always be your weakest of the three. Very few people are absolutely perfect across all three sports. But sometimes you can put a hand up and go, yeah, I just don't swim enough. I can swim just about enough but I don't swim enough because maybe it's not the thing you want to do maybe it's the time inefficient one that blimey to be in there four days a week would just you know crush my my uh, my total time allowance or it's something that you're quite happy to say well you know what when I probably want to do it upper level I'll get back to that sport but I don't think anyone should persist in something that they say oh, I'm really not enjoying it it's like well okay back off you probably won't lose a lot but you'll also still love the sports you do. And not everyone has got the ability, you know, in, in the 70.3, you know, to run, I don't know, sub 125 or biker, you know, 230 or swimmer, you know, 29. And it's not because some people aren't trying. It's just some people have not got the ability. And the ability is something that it's easy when a sport feels great and it's quite easy to do. We've all loved that. That's great. You just do it and you're like, this is brilliant. It's hard when you're working away at it and you just don't seem to get the gains. And that's what some people are like across all three sports. So they never really see that, that gain that other people can see. You know, they train a bit and next minute they're like going really well. Others can just be training all the time. And there's a certain amount of maybe, you know, maybe some people are, are naturally more... Um, uh, adaptable to training and others just sorry they weren't they weren't built as athletes luckily the best people in the world happen to find themselves in a sport train a lot get enough support and do it for long enough to reach their goals but at the amateur level I think there's always this sense that you know what you're ebbing and flowing between you know getting on with it having a really good year people back off you know change disciplines they want to keep balance, 
quite often people will disappear from coaching and come back, you know, two or three years later and say, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of back to where I want to do it now. They don't want to year after year just persist in just battering themselves because it can end up, and I hate to say this, but it can end up for some people, it almost looks like they're doing a job. And it's like, wake up a minute, this is playtime. You know, don't analyse it like it's your, you know, your... Uh, your job at stake or that, you know, get stressed about things. Recent research shows even putting people under slight like exercise stress scenarios and race scenarios really pumps up their cortisol. So you stick people into a scenario where they're like um, putting everything into stuff and really, really pushing themselves. And meanwhile, that person is constantly under stress. And I think we have to be very careful that, you know, Stretch yourself, but sometimes then back off, be it the off-season, be it after three years of having a go at Ironman, be it, you know, when you've decided actually, you know, my, 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 my job and, you know, now, I'm, now I've got, you know, uh, got, you know, first member of the family coming or whatever. You go for ebbs and flows and therefore sometimes you can quite accept when people say, yeah, I know I'm quite a little bit off where I was three years ago, but I'm quite happy with it. That's it. And, and I mean, you like you've hit the nail on the head. Your weaknesses are your weaknesses, whether you choose to accept them or to work on them. Yeah. I think everybody that does triathlon or sports in general will know oh, that is my weakest bit and will have an attempt at doing it, you know, yeah. to right the wrongs as it would be. But just deep mm. down, you know, mm. that's as much time as I can dedicate to that because yeah. then it will yeah. impact on yeah. other sports that I do as well. So maybe you're running and you're riding then. And the best the best are not just the ones that are the most motivated. You know, the best have, have often started from a position, particularly with swimming, you know, maybe they've been, um, you know, a, a swimmer during, um, you know, during their sort of uh, formative years. They've perhaps done, you know, galas and swim clubs and they've just they've got a feel for water and a like of the water that people learning to swim at you know 32 are clearly going to be behind and i think there is a there is a misconception that you know if you set a goal you're bound to achieve it and sometimes and i love your expression minerals i mean some people have not got the minerals to do certain things i mean i'm not and i'll, I'll say this in public i'm not going to be Bradley Wiggins is our record. And I know that comes as a shock to you, but I'm not. Okay. Massive, it's a massive but, shock. But some people do actually almost set these goals that you look at the numbers, and it is numbers, as much as you know, people like to think, you know, I'm gonna give 110% and don't limit me, and physics is just a suggestion, I'm just gonna override it. It's like, no, the best people started with numbers that the rest of us won't have, but also it isn't about being the best. It's about you doing your best. That's it. So if you, if you start from the point of, I don't know where I'm going with this, but if I enjoy it, if I train, who knows where it would go? I certainly, and I don't know about you, but I certainly didn't start going, right, yes, I'm, you know, I don't even know when I first kicked off 10Ks. I was probably 16 or 17. I did start, I said, right, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, and I go to Kona, then I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. And I'm gonna, do you know what I mean? It was never like that. It was just, I enjoyed it, I liked it, I was all right at it, so I carried on. And some people start with the, I've got to go to such and such, I've got to do this or do that. And it's like, well, okay, but 
There's certain rudimentary amounts of stuff that you've got to have because you're not the first person to have this idea. There's an awful lot of people now that do the sports across everything from sportifs to, um, you know, to triathlons to, to mountain biking, the whole works. There's so many people doing it. You're not going to be the only one to say, oh, I've just seen a qualification race where I think I can get to, you know, get to the uh, uh, UCI, um, you know, age group world championships for time trial or whatever. Everyone else has seen it. And there's no longer soft races. So you have to start from a point of view of, you know, do your racing, find out what you like. Do your racing, see what you need to work on. But most of all, do your racing so you enjoy going back to doing your racing. And when you don't, take time out and, and take time out to say... I'm going to have a bit of a have a bit of a fun thing. Keep fit, and it's amazing how. And I had an email recently from somebody that sort of said that they were effectively, you know, giving it up. And you know, eight months later, like, actually, I'm going to give you a shout in, you know, in about eight months' time because actually, I'm going to take a year up, but I've got this idea I want to do next year. And you think actually, if you're into this stuff, sometimes you do need a break. Sometimes you do need something different to do but most of all you do need to be enjoying it because if you're not what's the point in doing all these hours in the the extra leisure time that you supposedly have only for it to feel like it's work yeah, that's it but it's an interesting question from from carl because it, i don't i don't pretend to to know all the ins and outs there's little bits that I know, little bits that I understand, and the bits that I don't, which is most of it, I send to Joe, and Joe explains it in his in his layman terms to me. But simple yeah, layman terms, yes, yeah, very simple. But the the difference being is with with Carl's question is getting that balance. I think between, yeah. like you said, inside either either in or outside um, for a seventy point three, and you know doing the race distance every time you go to train it's just going to lead to one thing isn't it? Mm. and that's either going to be burnout or injury yeah. there's no two ways about it yeah. so like you said having the enjoyment of doing your events and doing exploring your weaknesses trying to make them better if you get incrementally better slightly better at worst case then just take it as a plus isn't mm. it take it as a plus but it's that's a long-winded one we're going to do the next one short that's right yeah but, okay. but it's a good question from carl because yeah. it must be for you you athletes that are doing 70.3 to well in any distance irons. that's the crux of it what is my key sessions to do essentially that is what a training program is what are my key sessions to get better that's what everyone's trying to find out. And it so much comes back to the original athlete, right? What are you good at? What don't you do? What are you disciplined at? What do you keep missing out? What What have you not ever thought about and everyone else is doing? And that's the crux of what a coach has to do. Yes, oh yeah, yeah, Pick yeah. out the things. And whether it's 70.3 sprint, whether it's a 10 mile time trial or a marathon, it's picking out the painfully obvious that somebody may not have thought of. And then once you get enough stages into it then start to look at the tiny little micro adjustments to stuff second question go on thanks carl thanks carl ian hutchinson he says is there any benefit from a pre-workout supplement and this was a particular um pre-workout drink so it means like a pre-workout drink and i think i'd Try and keep it as short as possible. Burger and chips. Is that a supplement? No, 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 no. no. (laughs) So, you know, talking about the, I mean, I suppose you've got, you know, the standard drinks that most sports nutrition companies have got, which have, uh, for the most part, probably caffeine, taurine, um, cola nut, maybe guarana, some some kind of, you know, um, central nervous system stimulant. Um, Then you've got other uh, added ingredients, and then you've got the, you know, off-the-shelf 
supermarket, you know, what are sometimes called, you know, stimulant energy drinks. Do they work? Well, we're back to this whole, you know, what do you need before a session? If you've not eaten and you really are one of those people that need carbs, then you might get as much impact um, in carb terms from eating a banana as opposed to buying an expensive energy bar. When it comes to caffeine, you may respond really positively and find that, you know, you're, you're getting... Uh, you get in, you know, on the train, you've got 40 minutes to get home. You're probably going to start your session about an hour later. So you have your, you know, your strong, strong coffee on the train. And that is a way of, you know, doing a pre-workout. What you have to go back to again is, number one, do you need a pre-workout? I've got a question for you then. Yeah. Well, not a question, but to add to this, do you think sometimes a... Now, Ian, this isn't directed at you, but do you... And I'll explain why. Um, do you think that sometimes people need a supplement because that's their motivation? That's their motivation to then do the session. The reason why I say this is... How my do you wife, mean? My wife, bless her. Um, she... Are you, are you ordained? Can you bless people? Uh, no, but I bless her. I bless oh, right. her for putting up with me. It's probably yeah. a better way of putting it. Um, she will come and go, oh, you know, what do you think I... What session do you think I, I should do? So... I said to her, plain, plain and simple, she said, oh, I want to eat something before I do this session, you know, how long shall I leave it? And I said to her, I said, is, is it something that you need? Is it something that you think you should have because it will make you train better? Mm. And she just looked at me and just went, I just need motivation. I yeah. said, well, if yeah. you think that's going to help you. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Do it. Some people, you know, the coffee, um, I certainly know it with uh, Power Bar Charger. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's got a very distinctive taste. Oh, it's bitter, isn't it? It's quite. Uh, that'll be probably the arginine in it. Yeah. Um, it's is he, is he it, it's got it's got an association with this drink equals. Yes. I think that's probably what I was trying to say. Kick yeah. up the backside. Right. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. there is a very much a a, um, a smell effect to it. So certain drinks and certain tastes can immediately give you that right, this is a kick up the backside. Mindset, yeah. Um and it's also got a um also got a um sort of uh a trigger response that means that if you do it you've started that process of right drink, do my warm up, start the session do the efforts, be it, you know, a time trial, a race, etc. And I respond to caffeine, so I would do it before um, key sessions. But I'll hold my hand up and sometimes say, if I'm tired and I just really need, you know, my central nervous system to get me doing something that I really don't, not I don't feel like, but I feel a bit tired. As long as I'm not exhausted and yawning and got a sore throat, then yeah, many a cup of coffee's got me out the door when I could quite easily say to you, by text, forget it, I'm not riding this morning, go back to bed. And then, um, and then you know, you 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 turn up at you know ten to six, going, where is he? <laughs> a coffee can be. It probably is a subliminal thing, but a coffee can can actually get me into the session. In that instance, you could say, do you really need it? Well, what is it? Three, four hundred milligrams of yes. caffeine yeah, is fine going, yes. for your body. So if that's how I'm gonna, you know, if that's my, um, you know, if that's my uh, particular uh, vice having, you know, three, 400 milligrams of caffeine in a day, then I'll take that because it helps me train. It certainly increases the quality of your training. Whether you need a pre-workout supplement does depend on whether or not you actually need the quality there. 
Because if you don't need the quality, particularly with evening sessions, you take a very high stimulant. And there are some on the market, you know, particularly when we talk about, you know, going back to anti-doping, there are some on the market that people, you know, the names, the lack of uh, batch numbers, transparency, etc., means you keep well away. They might offer you the world in terms of effort, but even the best response from caffeine or taurine or all the all the uh the best legal i will say legal stimulants that have been tested in research it can give people a few watts a few you know seconds per mile but it doesn't it doesn't change things massively it'll get you to do the quality session i mean you're a responder aren't you yes yeah so you do get better responses but what you tend to find is that you shouldn't find a better response from a session that all it was meant to be is um, a base session. And yeah, somebody absolutely. today earlier yeah, saying, said yeah. about, you know, don't mention zone one, but I am going to mention it in a bit. <laughs> but, uh, and, um, and, I'll, and I'll say why in a bit. But if, if it makes you go too hard in a session you're not meant to, then you've got to question, have you become addicted to that sensation of having unlimited energy? If it is making you do a quality session or a race or something whereby um, you want to test yourself and it is deliberately meant to be a test session, then a pre-energy, uh, pre-energy, uh, an energy slash stimulant type drink before training. Well, you know what? Coffee and cycling and coffee and triathlon and the whole, um, the whole sort of, uh, impact of natural stimulants for training yes i know there are people that say oh i never want to touch that you know and it's it's bad etc etc i think we've got that one proven not to be the case and because people respond and it's legal on the list it's definitely a case of you know what actually it's fine but that, yeah that's that's kind of what, what i mean and the drink he was saying i'm you know i'm not going to give anybody uh, free publicity but i kind of looked at it and thought um it was quite expensive for for what you were getting and if you start getting hooked on something and actually you're tired your hrv data or your mood state or just the state of your body says you know what you are just pushing yourself out the door based on stimulants you actually in no way should be you know training that hard or using it to to up, up your tss or run faster or, or beat somebody you know it it still has to be that nutrition works in a periodized way for your training and i can't see that a, you know a, a cup of coffee or a couple of cups of coffee and then training is necessarily becoming addicted sometimes people have to come off it a bit and see how you know tired or fatigued they are and also utilize the caffeinated gels the pre-workout drinks etc specifically in training to see whether it makes a difference to them in racing and it can be used for the right reasons but you certainly i mean you can see sometimes kids that are just walking down the road and they've got you know one or two red bulls on the go and you think blimey you know if that's if that's what's getting you you know to school or that's the thing that gets you to work blimey that's a that's a you know that's a quite for a lot of people that's quite a high amount of um of, of sugar and caffeine and you know there are other drinks and other brands and and uh, you know supermarket brands available but it's making sure that when you look at your particularly your nutritional intake it's definitely got some cleverness around it it's not just that emotional attachment 
Yeah. That, that you've, oh, but I've got to have such and such before my session or I'll go rubbish. Will you really? Well, that's, that's you hook, line and sinkered because you will not perform unless you think you've drunk this that's, drink. That's kind of where I, I, was, I was going with it, you know. And it's like I, I said to my wife, I just said, look, if you think you need it, because you need to get through this session, then have it. Yeah. You know, she doesn't, she doesn't take a, a lot of caffeine. You know, she's not ultimately into sports nutrition as such. But, you know, I have stuff, you know, I have stuff indoors that... You know, I've she, got stuff indoors. I've got stuff indoors, yeah, that she, she has access to. You know, she can help herself. If she thinks an energy gel is going to get her through this 45-minute this run session... Then she can have it. Which brings us directly and brilliantly onto the next question. That was seamless. It's only because I read. But now no, you've said that, though, it's not seamless. Yes, it's, we can edit that bit out. Okay, right. And this is a question from Mike. And he says, pros and cons of putting your gels in a water bottle rather than carrying and opening individually. Okay, so he's talking about, I mean, for the most part, triathlon maybe long course duathlon because there are some or certainly some people that may be doing sportives possibly long distance time trials so anything where you could be handed up some gels or you could be taking them out of your back pocket out of a uh, a, a box on your top tube or potentially you know strapped onto the the top tube of the bike so in the pros and cons, I mean, the, the, the plus side is you've got no wrappers, so you don't, you don't get the possibility of accidentally littering, which in triathlons, quite, quite, uh, it's quite strongly um, sort of refereed, though you, people can get away with it. But it is, you know, it is one of the key rules. They do not want littering. So it stops that because you're not taking each one. You're also, therefore, not fighting with a wrapper every 20, 30 minutes. Um, I do like the fact that, you know, you put them into the bottle, you add some water, that makes it a bit more dilute and therefore it's easier to take it in. The con or the downside is you have to be able to quantify what a gel therefore is. And it's not a large volume. And I think the hardest part about the gels in the bottle is working out, you know, if you've got, I don't know, best part of, of say, uh, you know, eight gels in a 750ml bottle. Okay, so that means each one is maybe about sort of 90 mils of liquid. So you've got to be able to be very good at judging 90 mils of liquid. At which point, if you get it wrong and you take too much because you glug it and, and don't really um, take into account you've taken quite a lot more gel, A, you need to follow up with a lot of water, but you may just have put in too much into your gut. So it does make sense, but there's a huge amount of practice required because you have to work out how quickly do you go down a bottle. And often people will mount that maybe in a simple and a well-rehearsed place on their bike, which often be on the down tube because they can reach it. They've spent all the time, you know, on, on a standard road bike, reaching down for a bottle. It's a safe bet they can reach it and drink from it. And then they'll use maybe water from a bottle mounted up uh, between their forearms. It might be the, a standard round bottle that they put into a cage and then dispense with each time they get to an aid station or one of these aero bottles that they tip water into. But it does make more sense than than you know ripping through various um, wrappers time after time, which then have to be stored somewhere. Also... You do, you do have to be able to do some maths, whether you're using wrappers 
whether you throw in half an energy bar, if somebody gives you a drink, how dilute is that? I think the whole crux of be it a pro, be it a con is, can you make a very good assessment as to what you need right now? I was going to say, my, my <clears throat> kind of down, the downside to it would be, is it, can you quantify, is it quantifiable? Mm. Do you know, do you, how much have you taken on? How much yeah. have you got left? My other kind of pro for it is the fact that if you've, if you've paced it well or, or you've, um, you've taken what you need to on board and then you've added, you've got a spare bottle. You know, mm. some of some of us sometimes are petrified if a bottle flies out and you've only got one bottle left, and mm. then then you're a you're a bit uh, you're a bit stuffed, really, aren't you? You know, yeah. but you can use that bottle then yeah. if you yeah. need to in emergency. And the only other thing then for a com is or a downside it takes up a bottle space. Yeah, is yeah. you know, and, and most of the modern triath modern triathlons now and the equipment that comes with it. You've got plenty of places to be able to put bottles yeah, on anyway. Yeah, so. yeah. You don't need to. You don't need to carry like people used to have two bottles behind the saddle, one on the down tube, one between the bars. You know, it was like blimey, how much? You know, and then they'd sometimes grab one and shove it down the back of their their you know their their tri top. You've got lots of options to grab stuff, but I do think part of a training habit that I try and get clients to do is to is to quantify how much they're taking on board, particularly with longer rides. Would it be possible? Thinking about it, you know, is it possible maybe to put one gel in and then the amount of space that that takes up, bearing in mind the bottle's the same shape, and then almost marking that to a degree of... Well, well you know, you know, it wouldn't much, be enough, you, you know how much yeah. it is because you can always weigh it and it'll be a one-to-one -one ratio. So if it's 50 mils, it'd be 50 grams. So you could work out what's in there, but it's actually working out... How and I've done it before. Take. You squeeze it into your mouth... And then spit it into a seriously spit it into a like a bowl. If that bowl's on a scale, it will tell you how much. And roughly, a mouthful is about hundred mils. Yeah. Okay. But that's quite a big mouthful, depending on the size of your mouth. But you start realizing that feeding is often down to people being able to make a pretty good guesstimate. And when some people don't know whether they've taken thirty grams out the door with them or three hundred grams, or They've got nothing and just kind of muddle through. Training is exactly that. You are training your body, and that means also your brain, to be able to make assessments, adaptations, try slightly different things, certainly put in fuel that mirrors what you'll get on race day. And many of the races now tell you the flavors and the products and stuff. And if it works, that gel thing is something that some people say every time. I'd never, I'd never do any different because I've sussed it out. Others are like, oh, I can't get the quantity right. I'm going to have stuff basically in various options, some bars, some gels, some of the bottles that they give me. And I'll hope that they give me roughly the right proportion. Because if they give you a bottle and it's at, you know, 4%, then there's only 30 grams in that bottle. If they give you it and it's at 10%, there's 70 grams in there. And quantifying how much you drink only comes from testing strengths. Testing a bottle, with, you know, get somebody to say, right, put 70 grams in a bottle. They go, God, I can't put that much powder in. It's like you might be given a bottle that's 10% solution. You've got to know what that's like. If it's the right product, you're going to absorb that anyway. And not only are you going to absorb it, you're going to absorb it having not drunk too much. So you can do half a bottle and that's 37 grams. If you were doing a gel and you wanted the same amount, you'd have to do a gel and a half. So a little bit of testing... Certainly, 
if you like, uh, a quantification of what you do. Actually working out, if you go out and this weekend, next weekend, whenever, you start doing your longer rides for sporty, for an Ironman, for whatever, start quantifying, have I got roughly, you know, 60, 70, 80 grams for each hour I want to be out. Don't guess you'll find it in a, you know, in a service station or a cafe somewhere and you're going to be able to get it. Use the products that you'll be racing on. The downside of the gels is it's an expensive way to do yeah, it. I was just going to say. And even... I prefer powder because powder's a lot cheaper. You can get, you know, you can get a freezer bag. You can put another, you know, 70 or even 140 grams in your back pocket. Split that between two bottles. You're ready to go then for the next two to three hours. Because I was going to say also if you decide then, you know, everybody goes over the top with nutrition because there's nothing worse. Pretty much, unless you, you've done quite your, like you were saying, your extensive testing yeah. and you kind of know roughly, you know, I'll have one gel more. So if you put it in a bottle and don't use mm. it, worst case scenario mm. yeah. is, all right, yes, you do chuck it out and you waste money or you put a bit of liquid with it, yeah. give it a bit of a shake and you have yeah. something to be able to yeah. get rid of yeah. pretty so, sharply. So, so, you know, good question, Mike. Well worth trying because it can simplify getting into wrappers and... People do get confused sometimes what they're what they're drinking, eating, and it, you cannot just fudge it. I think the ones that get some lackluster kind of results, they have you know uh, varying stomach problems or completely blow up. You think, how do you blow up in a race that you've been planning for and, and training for? Often it's because. And I'll say it, they're used to just having dilute drinks. They think the key is to try and scrimp on drinks. If you're into Ironman, long distance, uh, you know, long distance time trials or sporties, you have to invest in fuel and you have to have options that allow you um, to actually practice that. Not say, oh, I just put two scoops in a bottle and you go, so you went out for three hours, hilly, and you had about 40 grams of carbohydrate the entire time. How did you feel in the last hour? You know, and it's like, that is incorrect training. Mike and his gels in a bottle might be an expensive thing to do from time to time because you start seeing how many gels it takes and so forth. But you eventually have to test some of race day because you can't test it on race day. You have to simulate it in your races. And if you use most of the time uh, things like, you know, powders and simple um, slightly dilute drinks, but you'll maybe grab a banana or a flapjack or, or simple things, bits of fruit, bits of malt loaf. You can get carbohydrate in various ways. But on race day, you want to try and use stuff that means you don't have to carry too much yourself, but also is going to sit very easily in your stomach. So good question and very nicely, seamlessly brought in there, Crocker. Oh, yeah. oh, yeah. Uh, there is another question now from uh, Duncan, I'm going to say Moulier. Do you think that's Moulier or Moulier? Yeah, yeah, I'm going to agree with you there. Yeah, okay. Uh, he does cycling time charts and... It's a great question. It came in this afternoon and he said to us, when doing blocks of training, three weeks on, one week recovery, I usually feel dreadful during the recovery week. Uh, this is zone one rides and uh, don't pick up until week two of training. I.e. I need a week to get back to any sort of form. Now I'm gonna question form in a second, right? I'm usually, fading towards the end of week three. This means that if I do an FTP test at the beginning of week one, I'm usually under what I will be a week later. Okay. 
It also seems to be that doing sessions based on FTP is dramatically different over the month. Okay. Would I be better doing a taper type recovery week with some intensity or is it better to avoid intensity unless you are explicitly trying to come into form for an event? I did take an extra week off over Christmas with a couple of harder sessions, but more time off and felt great after it. But I suspect it just made me come into form and maybe there is a cost to that. Thanks for the great podcast, Duncan. Okay, so there's a couple of things here. Um, so he's getting very tired and he says, you know, I'm usually fading towards the end of week three. So it may well be, and I don't know what sessions he's doing, but, you know, um, the sessions based on FTP are dramatically different over the month. It looks like to me there's, you know, there's too much going on in the previous weeks, one, two, and three, gets to the end of that week three and is in, is in bits, takes the whole of the next adaptation week to even come back round again. Even when he re-engages training on week one, the body is still coming back out of it because it's gone down into a hole and it takes a while to come back up. By which point he feels better in week two. Now, typically in, in that scenario, it probably shows that the third week is not too long to be doing stuff for because there's plenty of regimes where people do hard stuff over three weeks and they quite easily do it it sounds like there is just too much going on in those three weeks and no matter what you do in adaptation instead of feeling good by thursday maybe friday and then going actually you're still okay to do a bit of intensity if you need nothing but zone one then you are pretty tired i don't think adaptation is about pure zone one i think it's about keeping you know some overgeared work in there for tts maybe a little bit of work even efforts but actually efforts that gauge how well is recovery going because if by the thursday definitely the friday efforts of you know pick it out of thin air you know 30 seconds efforts at 400 watts your legs feel great and you have four minutes off and do it again go oh my legs felt great i wasn't smashing it but i was pushing it hard just to see how they respond then you've got a feel for how you're adapting if you don't do efforts you don't know whether you've adapted and i think too much has happened in the three weeks no matter what you do in that adaptation week you've already you know burn too many matches you're in a, a hole and actually you only get back into it on the second week of training which is now a complete two weeks since you last felt really rubbish you're digging too big a hole and this is the type of candidate that measuring hrv will be an absolute revelation because you'll be able to see that you're taking yourself too deeply down in your HRV way too early in that three-week cycle. And I don't know how many, he didn't say how many sessions he's doing hard in three weeks, but if you look at um, that paper that's publicly available, and we'll, we'll do a tweet when this um, when this podcast goes out, the cross-country skier, you know, elite cross-country skier, okay, they're racing for typically, you know, just over an hour or, you know, they're not racing for 10 hours, they're not racing for 10 seconds, they're still an endurance athlete there was still a limited amount of high intensity. There was still 950 hours in a year and there are intense sessions, but the proportion still is 90% is in zone one. And I think sometimes when people are doing, you know, it doesn't say distances, but, you know, cycling time trials, you might just be a 10 mile, 25 mile rider. I think people do too much short intensity and therefore if he's doing, I don't know, 
three hard sessions a week. He gets to the end of the second week, that's six hard sessions. Going into the third week, gets to session seven. Oh, my Lord. Gets to session eight. Blimey. Session nine popped. Now, even the adaptation week won't get him out of trouble. Then he needs a week back into training, of which the hard sessions feel back to this FTP, feel like a real struggle. And only when they have not really been completed properly does he finally come out of the woods in week two. So FTP? Functional threshold protocol. Okay. Yeah, which, which is which is that FTP is your you know, what used to be called kind of like your anaerobic threshold, your one hour pace. It is basically assessed often from a 20 minute test indoors. It can be that people that are good at 20 minutes get an overinflated idea of what they might do for an hour. If he's doing time trials, he probably knows what power he can do for, you know, 10 miles, 25 miles. Because FTP now is actually I've noticed is it never used to it never used to pop up. FTPs no. never used to pop up. Now it's quite no. fashionable. It's been made fashionable. Yeah. It's been made more popular by things like Swift. Yeah, it's but it's still popular. threshold and threshold training. If you read the, you know, people read the literature on the, the science of training. There's a brilliant paper by Stephen Seeler. How do endurance athletes actually train? They do not train at threshold much. They train above FTP, either going into what, you know, what we'd call kind of zone three or very high zone two, where there is definitely, you know, a lactate buildup. They aren't training close to threshold, which is low zone two, because that's gray area. You're not going hard, but you're going hard enough to affect your recovery. And they're scrimping on the base. So instead of it being hard or easy, they're going in the midpoint. And FTP, it can in some cases discourage that. But it can encourage people thinking, if I push that enough, I'll get that particular factor up. And it does sound like there are too many sessions um, that, uh, that Duncan's doing that are just overstimulating the adaptation. If you look at a typical interval study, they will take people, they'll often do two to four weeks of pure base training to get everybody to a level playing field. They won't be unfit. They will be ready to start without there being, um, if you like, a residual um, sort of overtraining effect. They then start the intervals. You only need often one hour's worth of total hard work per week. And that's enough to stimulate week after week after week. Okay, so one hour's worth of hard work split over maybe you know two or three sessions, and the rest of it is zone one. So the rest of it is below eighty percent of max. Which, if I thought about it in FTP terms, I'd have to do a, a quick calculation. But it's you know it's not trying to get too close um, to FTP. It's actually trying to um, limit the amount of, um, almost like the amount of, of, of stimulation that you do. So you're probably talking less than 70% of FTP is going to be zone one. And that's the top of zone one. If you want lower zone one, you've, you've probably got um, something in, I'm going to say something in the in the region of, he says, doing a quick calculation, something in the region of, yeah, below 60% of, of, um, of, of FTP. So it may be one of the solutions, Duncan, is you need to do more below... 60% FTP work. What would have been called base work? Um, it'll keep your heart rate below 80% uh, of max. It will still provide an aerobic stimulus. That might be, you know, for you, you might be still sitting at, you know, 180 watts. Well, Croc and I are sat here, and if you're listening to this and you're not active and you're sat down, you'll be using about 
you know, 15 to 18 watts sat down at rest. So if you do these low intensity sessions, you still increase your metabolism tenfold, right? But people get dragged into trying to get to a certain number. Oh, I've got to do at least 200 watts on the turbo. Oh, I've got to get my, um, you know, I've got to get my, uh, you know, my average or my, uh, my, um, you know, normalized power. It's got to be over 200 watts. And they've got a number in mind that doesn't stack up to what we know. Base training, base training can be way low. It can be down at 60%. And referring back to this uh, particular cross-country skier, over 60% of her sessions were greater than 90 minutes and were in zone one. Now that means that long, slow distance work predominated in the most successful cross-country skier ever. And lots of people say, yeah, but that's junk training. I've got to get, you know, I've, I've got to sort of, you know, I've got to push it. No, you haven't. You actually can only push it two times, maybe at most three times a week. If you can accumulate an hour that works out about, let's say this guy is doing, you know, eight to eight to, to 10 hours, okay, one, one and a bit hours per week, you're allowed to accumulate hard efforts. That could be three days, could be two days, but you can't then on the easy days, start going at 150 watts. Oh, I felt good. So I started to push some efforts up to 250 just to test my legs. No, you, you only do the efforts on the two or three days of work. If you don't do that, what you find is you're not only stimulating too hard on your base sessions, but you'll compromise your quality. And that's what people do wrong. And you see these studies and they keep everything in zone one apart from, you know, three quality sessions. The three quality sessions are still pushing the body and they push the body effectively. But you don't get the effect unless you make the easy stuff easy. And that's where it all goes wrong. Because people look at FTP and say, oh, yeah, but I've got to be at least, you know, 70% of FTP. I would say... A quick number crunch, you've got to be below 60% of FTP for your base sessions. And yes, that might be boring. That might be, you know, going out with your less oh, fit. It is boring. It might be it going boring. Well, it's only boring. I think it's only boring if people don't get the beauty of what they're doing. They, they've got the, you know, they've got the, the, the limbs and the time and the affluence and the, and the whole, you know, whole uh, life chance to just go out and enjoy the fresh air and run and bite and swim. Blimey, soak it up. Some people will never get this chance. And that, predominant what we call BKM, best known method, that base has to be in place. There is no system that you can go, no, 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 I haven't got time for that. I've got to do lots of intervals. Well, crack on, you'll be worse for it. Yeah. Now the question of form. Form. Yes. Well, if you do push the top end and you don't, you don't hold back and do work that is gradually stimulating, you know, at and above FTP, but you start pushing all the time, what you can find is you start getting very near your summer numbers. And if that's happening, you know, you know, Christmas, we're in February or even in March, you're like, blimey, you start hitting numbers too early, you are not going to hold that. And you're not already holding what you're doing anyway. So it would suggest actually what you even think of as form actually needs to be redressed. And if you can start tracking your HRV, and it's not an expensive process to start doing it, you may see that on an adaptation week, your HRV starts climbing and you feel great. You go into week one feeling brilliant. You don't smash that first week when you feel so good. You've got to then follow up with another three weeks. It will be somewhat muddied once you hit the 
season because you haven't just got three weeks on one week off you've got events you've got to prioritize things you sometimes have to race knowing that it's uh you know effectively it's not you know the biggest effort of your season but in three weeks time you want to be as fresh as a daisy in which case you taper down for that race but this current 10 mile time trial is getting back to the basics of racing pacing trying a few different things with your nutrition with your kit etc yeah but form is your top end form is what you bring on when you start doing that certainly zone two zone three type effort it adds on maybe maybe the last six to ten percent of watts so it might take a 270 watt ride up to 295 um, it won't take them up to 395. The the return on investment is there, but it's only when you've got that aerobic system anyway. Because if you push the anaerobic system, you are building up lactate and other things. The reason why it builds up is because the aerobic system has now reached its limit. And though you can get used to tolerating it, the best athletes don't just tolerate unheard of levels of lactate they've built that huge amount of aerobic engine first and what you have to do is know how often or when at all do you want to go up into the realms of that high intensity because you can't keep going back up there time after time after time because if now you know if we see what's happening now it's quite possible that almost that that Duncan could be like instead of recovering sometimes in winter he's already showing somebody that there's sometimes like this at the end of a season. And I wonder that he needs to back off how often he does quality, let the body be fresh and measure his fitness, not by maybe hours, not by um, some magic goal, but is the quality hitting a, a repeatable level that says that's strong? Because when I have somebody on the phone, they go, God, I'm really strong right now. I'm doing those intervals. And God, I, could, I could pull the cranks off. This is great. It's like brilliant. All that we're doing is translating to what you need, which is you need strength. That's why we're measuring watts. You need strength. Not like, oh, I could do 10 miles and probably do it all over again. But that's pretty silly. I want you to do 10 miles and not even want to do the next point one of a mile. Yes. You know, do it as hard <laughs> as possible yeah. and be done. And if not, and the person's just going through the motions, there's either just too much training, and that's one way to get tired. There's too much frequency of going out of zone one and the person therefore never really does enough base because you know even even like easy sessions like oh yeah i went a bit into zone two it's like how do you go into zone two if it's meant to be easy easy isn't the top of zone one easy is way off the top of zone one so it's a good you know it's a good um it's a good it's a good question because i think it it taps into the the difficulty of this second part of the of the winter which is translating sometimes a, a sense that you feel quite fit through the winter and just starting to right now i call this build phase just starting to build in a bit more effort because there was there was something else with the question that um duncan asked which i kind of i quite i quite liked the the wording if i was brutally honest um and it was sorry i'm just trying to look through joe's no, it's about bringing on form yeah. as well. And, and, you know, maybe there is a cost to that, that, that kind of yeah. 
be yeah, well, if you bring on form, it's not there later. You are building form through months and months and months. If you use it up because you, you know, you, you, you smash it because the sun comes out, we have a nice march and you start getting too excited, then you've done exactly what, you know, professionals and, and well, well coached amateurs won't do. They won't just be a loose cannon that fires off at any particular moment. They know when their racing is key and if their form's good, that's when it's it's danger time. It's like, right, okay, don't worry. It's not going to vanish. Form is only brought on when you need it. And if if you start to do too hard an interval, which makes me wonder that, you know, because he said about FTP, he started to um, bring on the form too early and is already actually talking about form. Not many people even mention form at Christmas. Because you know? there's a, there's another little little key to that as well, which which Duncan says, and, and and I like the fact that Duncan has been has been honest with this as well. Because yeah. normally what we have a tendency to do is we just go, oh yeah, well I, it might be a bit hard, but I just took a couple of extra days off. But at least kind of Duncan's been honest and stuck to his uh, you know to his training schedule, I suppose that he's got. There. But he says um he said um especially trying to come into form for an event um i did take an extra week off over christmas with a couple of harder sessions but more time off but more time off and felt great, great after, after it so, so and that's answered the question yeah to so, so he's answered the question yeah. that i've said that actually you take less total volume of training and before you know it forms coming on um the hard part in the winter is he's probably been trying to just bring on some of the preform, as I would call it, some of the you know harder work a bit early, and then of course the moment that you do back off because actually you've got volume, you've got middle of winter, and you're starting to do intensity. Those three things conspire to mean that that's why he's that tired. If you if you back off a bit, you acknowledge that oh it only takes a few days, and I can I can feel quite strong. We don't want to always feel strong. But we've said you don't. You have three weeks of, of doing diligent training, but he sounds like he's only ever doing two because he says I don't really feel good yes. till, you know, to the second week and I'm pretty nailed by the end of the third week. Well, to me, that doesn't even make two weeks between those two points. And then he spends the next two weeks. First, The first week is week three where he's just about surviving. Then the adaptation week where he says he, you know, feels rubbish. Most people feel rubbish when I back them off because they're used to doing the training. If you measure HRV, do some kind of hard session, sometimes even do um, like a benchmark or something. By the end of that adaptation week, they go, oh, yeah, I'm starting to feel good now. And it's like, yeah, the point of adaptation is in the is in the heading there. It's adapting. The moment you feel good, you don't go out and use it. You've got another three weeks to let it... To spread that over. Spread that over. Yeah, yeah. And at the moment, he's not even getting that three-week feeling because he's digging in too much. So I do wonder that... Having seen this before, I think this all stems back to, I reckon, some of that FTP stuff was way early, even pre-Christmas, because he said at Christmas he backed off, so that meant he was doing it before Christmas, which would suggest, you know, October, November, he was already stimulating the high-intensity energy system. I mean, people might do weights, people might do over-geared, but they're certainly not doing um, doing high-intensity stuff, because... You're the diametrically opposite part of the year. You're in the shortest day. You're at Christmas. It's like, no, 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 no. And a few things need to be sorted out, Duncan. HRV. HRV, look into HRV, which is heart rate variability. That might gauge how you um, see the variation between 
feeling rested and the number going up and maybe hitting the 90s and feeling really drained and down in the 50s and watching how not just your training because you are not just in a vacuum but how life stresses work things that are coming your way you don't even know all those things affect you often more than the training what? <laughs> that was I'm a big to, pause yeah, there. No, sorry. I could hear I, something dramatic. Yeah. Um, with, with HRV, um, I know this. We, we've been into HRV already. Um, but how and would you? One. How would you? And tires yeah, and oh, chains. Oh, don't start. Um, you promised. Um, how would we? How, would some training programs? Some training programs. Are they starting to register that now? So, for instance, let's just say most of us use Garmin Connect or we mm. use Strava. Is that something that these guys are soon going to bring in, do you think? Or so well, I know you have to download maybe a specific app mm, or something mm. like that to be able to... I mean, it will. Record. It will. I, I get athletes to note it down because part of writing things down is people accept those numbers and start to take a conscious decision that, oh, yeah, I did spend, oh, I did spend, you know, 13 minutes in zone two i should have been in zone one if somebody just pretends and just says oh yeah i just upload it to garmin the thing is there's loads of stuff up there 90 percent of digital data has been created in the past two years yeah and that's not all garmin and you know it's not all us it is various you know various uh tweets and and youtubes and facebooks and stuff you know bazillion gigabytes of data right but it's not that people put it up that's the the worry of this is that they don't actually know how to analyze it or they ignore the bits that are most important so they don't consciously take a look at that base session and say was it right you know what what was my what was my cruise pace um or okay i did an effort what was the exact um, speed or distance or uh, heart rate. Some of the times those things are important. And some of the times, I spoke to somebody, really, really good time trialist come come triathlete that sort of said, you know, my, my, my go-to sessions, you know, three by eight at, at this number, that's it, done, I can do it. Now that's better than somebody saying, oh, well, I've just done such and such a session, how, how do I analyze that? And what is it? And like, there's a certain amount of, well, if you do the efforts, they're in the right heart rate zone, that's it. Whether you see progress you're not going to get it from one session. You're not going to get it from two sessions. You get it from accumulation of weeks of sessions, which research and experience would say you're looking at, you know, six to eight weeks of diligent intervals. And going back to Duncan's thing, you know, it's not what you're doing one week and then it smashes you to bits in the next week and you don't make your third week. It's the constant process of being able to repeat sessions that actually is what training programs are about. Not smashing a number thinking, Jeepers creepers, can I do that again? Well, if you're smashing yourself that hard in like, you know, November, even January, it's like, that's really hard because you're not able to repeat it. Whereas if you stimulate, let's say somewhere around 90% of maximum, certainly 88 to 90% of maximum, that would be, depending on the sport you do, and then that might be 10K pace running, depending on how fast you run a 10K. Obviously, you know, some people in the world do it in 25 minutes. Other people do it in 65 minutes. But typically, intervals should be done at a speed that you couldn't sustain for an hour. It's probably the best way to look at yes. it. Because yeah. FTP, yeah, yeah. FTP, you can. So if somebody's FTP is 250 watts, then you say, well, actually, you want to do your intervals at sort of 270, you know, a little bit over your FTP, so that you go into that lactate accumulation zone 
and then you are stimulating further adaptation. If you do them at threshold, well, in theory, the only time you do that is if you need to bring your body slowly into them and then start going harder. And at this time of year, if somebody's trying to bring on form, the first stage is just to get them to threshold because if they've been doing base, threshold can feel hard work mm. effort. To go to above threshold can completely blow them apart. And it's all the time this very subtle nurturing. And I think trying to bring on form and trying to, you know, time when you feel good is really difficult. But you have to come back to the fact that form is really that last veneer of about, let's say at most 10%. So what that says is 90% of the cake below it is all about base, technique, and longevity. It's not about the top end stuff. So it, it otherwise we'd be looking at the training programs and say, no, actually they do. You know, turn 90%, it you turn it around. Ninety percent yeah. intervals, and they hardly do any base. And I think the crux of trying to get all people's training programs on track is look at the basics of what you're doing, and sometimes simplify it such that it follows pretty generic like rules. Um, I'm going to put out the white paper 2018 next week when I do the London tri-show bike show. And that basically says, you know, this is, this is why you do base. This is the percentage. This is why you do intervals and this is why you do them. And these are sort of, you know, the ways that kit or nutrition can help you. And I think it's actually quite simple. I look at some of these and think it's quite a simple solution. But when people are in their own, you know, uh, they're in their own, uh, what would you call it, almost like um, furrows digging away, they can't actually stand up and look about. And if you've got used to doing something, the hardest thing is taking that person's personality, setting it aside and saying, I know you like doing that, but this is the best way. The ones that do it well are the ones that say, tell me what to do, I just get on and do it. The ones that overthink it or try to do more than they can do, actually don't, they don't go 110%. And this, this is like a shock for some people. You won't outplay your genetic ability. And it's not to say don't try, try that's because it, yeah. someone's better. It's like, no, don't over try beyond your capacity. Because if you get it right, it's amazing when people say, God, I feel so strong and it's good and I'm absorbing. It's like, yeah, we've just managed to tweak the mixture and you're going well. But the important thing is we could easily scupper it if we ended up getting too excited and saying, yeah, let's smash in another thing. And it's all, I find it always hard constraining people at the right time. But when they go, this is amazing. It's like, yeah, but that was due to your very good um, processes of stick to the plan and the plan if we look at you know the 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 elites and most most training programs the plan is to do an awful lot of very diligent pre-planned sessions that come out exactly as you want tomorrow morning we will do you know two hours there won't be any surprise intervals or we'll see a light in the distance and start chasing it our plan is to do that whatever happens yes yeah, yeah, yeah. lots of people's plan somebody up in the distance starts changing their plan and they do they start running faster i've seen it with recently with um aerobic miles around the tracking club the santa i've seen it in people's numbers and they say oh yeah sorry about saturday but i went out with the guys and we really started to smash it and they said I know it was wrong afterwards, and I thought, what a plonker. And so they're self-regulating, but afterwards. However, when they say, I'm not going to do that again because I get what I did was wrong, I don't want to stop people, you know, having fun. But if you want to improve, you have to stick to certain, you know, kind of rule-based things. And often it's a little bit difficult when 
somebody's in a rush, somebody's been injured, somebody's been out for X months, somebody, you know, wants to beat person X and it's very important or qualify for this or do that. There still isn't a change of what the plan is. It's just you have to be even more diligent to get things right. And training is about very slowly stimulating your body to adapt. It's nothing more than that. Yes. And that's actually a fact, a brilliant question from Duncan, because even, yeah. even in his writing, you can tell that I think he knows something maybe isn't quite spot on yeah. and almost a willingness to be able to change it. Yeah. And I think, you, you know, if there are tweaks to what I've thought about um, recovery drinks, about uh, maybe the proportion of strength training, maybe the need for certain amounts of body work or stretching or certain supplements that aren't as good as they first came out to be. And to refine that model is always... You know, the humble thing to say, look, I'm just trying to get the best model, but I'm not going to stick my feet in. If it came out that, you know, we can cut down on base, then I want it to work because I want it to be something that somebody says, blimey, I've never had results like this. And when you see what people do when they're self-coached, it's almost like you can write it and you can say stuff to them like, how do you know that? How do you know that? And it's like, I've seen this so many times. It's the default way that people train. If we do this, this and this, look what happens. And it's not difficult. It really isn't. I don't think it's at all difficult. The difficult part is somebody that preempts all of this, but no, 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 but I'm, you know, but I'm different. No, 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 but you know, I'm in a rush or, well, I've done it this way before. Many times we need to adapt and, and change and learn. And I think it's really important that, we acknowledge that we've done things and afterwards gone, God, that was a stupid thing. We should, we should, <laughs> we shouldn't have done that Tuesday night, you know, Tuesday night ride that started to ending up being, you know, a, a flat out, you know, it was a time trial from the second we clipped in in Braunton for right. the next 20 minutes. But it's refining over time and sometimes saying, well, you can get away with it because the proportion of other things make up or, you can agree with other people that this is how we're going to do the session. But if you look at the sessions of people that are effective, elite, amateur, um, 20-somethings, 60-somethings, the plan has been refined and it's very subtly tweaked. And it's very subtly tweaked week in, week out. And there might be key sessions, but they don't try and, oh, I'm going to make that one longer. That one's got to be harder. Oh, that one's got to be definitely tough. I'm going to move up a lane in the swim. And, and that one, what? I'm going to do FTP test on that day. That one, oh, yeah, well, that's a park run. And you look at it and go, you've got like seven factors you're trying to push forward at once. And you look at how diligently elite athletes will do the same interval the next week and the next week and the next week, which is why when they reproduce it, they say, yeah, we'll do, you know, um, I can think of, you know, you know, 10, 600s on 140 with this recovery. They know what they do because that's the level that they stimulate. And it might be a few seconds quicker when they're really on form or it feels so easy. They're exactly the pace they thought they would do, but they're just recovering like mad. It doesn't suddenly become from a 140 to 130. And I think the difficulty with self-coached people is not to push too many factors forwards at the same time because they look at oh yeah i've got to push my joints and i need my speed and you know and, and there's definitely a case i want to test myself and sometimes it's a lack of confidence in what you're doing to think if you move loads of factors you're going to get something happen and often and somebody said to me this week it's got it's quite good really they said yeah i've just i've just done this um event they were on the training camp just done this event this run said yeah, yeah run, runs good that's in place blah, 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 blah. So I don't need to do a 5K then, do I? Like, no, we know the running's in place. All the 5K is going to do is get you to do a race you don't need to do. And when you're going for certain qualifiers, 
those are the races that count but you have to have confidence that you're in the right place and if you weren't in the right place probably doing a 5k wouldn't help anyway you'd have to go back to you know what works you have to do over that pace to get used to the hardship of it and what amount of base work have you not done so i don't i don't think it's difficult to do this i think the hard part is for people to set aside their habits and their ego and sometimes what they think is a good session and actually look at the hard and fast rules of how you do it. It's low, it's high, it's a little bit in between, sometimes just to get used to the high end efforts, but it certainly is a huge amount of just chipping away at letting your body adapt. It's not forcing it across loads of things each week. And it was always, it would always explained to me that it's like putting all your ingredients that you've guessed yeah. in a bowl, mixing it and expecting it to come out like a beautiful cake. It just doesn't happen like yeah, that. Yeah. It doesn't happen like that. If you, if you, like you were saying, if you add too many ingredients into it, mm. number one, without quantifying, and then expect it mm. all to come out mm. once you've mixed mm. it all up and then, and then popped it in the oven. And All of those ingredients to be as fancy as the sprinkles on top. No, some of it is just plain flour. Yeah. yeah some of it. it is just milk or eggs. Sorry about the cake analogy. Sorry about the cake analogy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'll stop at that point. Yeah. But... People like too many sessions to be, you know, I, I want to do some stretch sessions, you know, I'll push things ahead. Yeah, you can only do so many of those. So a lot of the other sessions, i.e., you know, if you do a 10 hour week and you've got, you know, perhaps two sessions, maybe three, but two, certainly three is possible. Well, that might take out, you know, an hour and a half to say, maybe, maybe at tops, because they're quality sessions, they might they might total two and a half hours. Okay, those two and a half hours are your quality bits. That still means, say, you're remaining, you know, six to eight hours for a standard athlete. I'm not talking Ironman full-blown athletes, but, you know, the rest of your six, seven, eight hours have got to be base. So you've got time to focus on your technique. You've got time, and it's not do recovery you're not recovering actually you're doing the majority of your um work as an aerobic athlete because you're in the aerobic zone and that's the key zone one is the aerobic zone and we did this um we did this uh, aerobic mile in lanzarote you've done it run on the track nose breathe keep you below 80 percent um some people quicker year on year some people the same some people a bit slower and often you can uh you can explain that through their body mass through their running consistency then they did their triathlon on the last day. Some did a 4.4K run. Some did a, um, it's almost like 9K run. I plotted those against one another. For, for a set number of athletes, I knew had raced. And I just picked them out. Went like they, They'd raced, they'd raced. No, they were, they were chatting and just having fun and coming down to the turn and just having a natter, stopping for a minute and then going. No, their data isn't right. right. Get the people, not the people that proved the point, just the people I know that raced. Look at it. And even though some had done double the distance of running, they fell on a line of a, um, and a statistician can, can, uh, can, can tell me otherwise, but it had an R of 0.86, which basically an R of 1.0 meant that they're exactly proportional. 0.86 means it's quite a strong correlation. You run around the track, we can probably predict quite closely how fast you're gonna run this run. So it, it showed that the aerobic ability of people is already a very high proportion of what they'll do. Nobody suddenly gained so much because aerobically they were doing, I don't know, you know, eight, nine, 10 minutes. But when it came to the race, they were the, you know, the, the, the second fastest runner. Some people can run aerobically um, in training and not be at the top of zone one. The point of our test was being near to the top of zone one. 
but you often see that people that get the most from their training in zone one are the ones furthest off the top of zone one. And that's the other part that's difficult because it might mean you have to walk, you have to jog walk, you have to wait for that aerobic sort of stimulation to happen. But there isn't a way around it. And I know it frustrates people and there is the time crunched and there is the, you know, the FTP analogy, but you look at the professionals and you look at the good amateurs and you talk to, you know, ex-pros and you look at, you know, the, the, the training methods of yesteryear. Yes, they've been refined upon, but nobody's crunched it down into a pro athlete can train six hours a week. They have to do what they've always done. The difference being is now often the base work is held down. So I know from elite bikers and from elite runners, they use devices to keep them slower certain amount of watts, certain amount of speed. They'll keep them down on those days. And lots of amateur athletes on those days that are base sessions, they look at the number and they try and bump it up and say, yeah, but I've got to run at least such and such a speed or, or no, 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 I can't, I can't train below 180 watts. And that's exactly the opposite of what we want. And, and it's really interesting that you see the methods of the best people are often they're the secrets, but they're, they're not really secret. They're painfully obvious, but they challenge the normal mindset. It's good. Really good question, that, Duncan. Thank yeah, you very it much. is. And I think we're at a point where um, I was just going to say uh, at my uh, website, coachjoebeer.com, there's the Human Charger link from the bottom of the website. If you don't know about um, Human Charger, have a look at that. That can help uh, pre-race, in winter, time i was gonna say time travel um time 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 zone changes um and there are there are people not to be um not to be easily led that say that is amazing that has done what it needs to do in terms of my mood state i'm traveling to the states and back brilliant it works so have a look at that uh there's the details about the bioracer error optimization and there's also a link from the services page to the radlabor bike fitting system as well also uh there's the official link to the fourth edge blood profiling optimization page where you can sign up through my portal and then when you get your um blood profiles then we can look at what you need to do and how you need to uh, improve your diet your training etc as of next week which may well be actually next week might not be next week because this might come out after the fact, but yeah. around the triathlon show, I will put the the white paper 2018 on the front of the uh, website. Once that's removed from the front of the website, because other things take priority, that will then be dropped into the advice page and you'll be able to then see that it's under the, the keynotes heading. So any keynotes that are done are under there. And otherwise it's really a case of we've had some, I think some of the best um, questions we've had in a long time, to be honest. I think they've been really good. And yes, they do. As somebody said, and I can't remember, and I, I, I commented back, um, not flippantly, I just sort of said, yeah, there will be zone one. It is the best known methods of the best endurance athletes on the planet. You'll so, never, ever stop Joe talking about well, no, tyres no. and zone one. <laughs> no, it's, it's, like, it's like if somebody said, you know, the best, the best way, you know, to, to, uh, to, to make money in a particular career is always to make sure, you know, you, 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 you bet high on a Monday, but you don't bet on a Friday. Then if you wanted to do that job you would say well i bet high on a monday and i don't on a friday and bingo you get you get your your money with this it's saying these are the best people on the planet they do a lot of this zone one therefore we shouldn't ignore it that's almost like saying the best thing we know for endurance athletes let's push it out 
and just get into the hard smash it up stuff. But what's that, what's that song that was on Frozen? Uh, the Disney um, cartoon. Let it go. Let it go. I thought you were saying. I thought. I thought. No, I thought you were saying. Um, do you want to build a snowman? <laughs> Don't get sick of this. It's not getting. It's not. It's not going to do it. So we appreciate um, reviews and, and uh, ratings on the iTunes page, and particularly like uh, questions. They can come in via. Um, the Southport Racing Twitter feed. They can come in via my Twitter feed. Um, follow me. Follow Southport. We're on. Are you on Instagram? Yeah. Right. We're on. We're on Insta. We're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. Yes. YouTube. We're there. Etc. Etc. So this is February. We will be getting this out as soon as possible when the uh, sound engineer. Um, Tweaks. Tweaks is when he tweaks his sound downloads levels. and tweaks. And tweaks. Um, thank you again. We delayed a bit because we had training camp and other things, but this is out for February and we're definitely going to get one out in March. So wait for a follow-up three to four weeks after this one comes out. Thank you again for downloading, for listening, for actually making it worthwhile. When you get an email and somebody says that really worked, that helped, that helped my, you know, my training or I've improved, I've listened to what you do. I want this to reach out to people that I'm never going to be able to coach as many people as we can interact with via this podcast. And it's actually nice to think you can make a positive difference. It might only be what some people want to hear. I'm, I'm quite happy to argue the toss with people that don't actually know what they're on about. This is what I do. This is what I know about. And I really do think that some people are being hoodwinked by people that claim to be able to tell them, oh, I know what we do. Just follow me. I'll do this. I'd rather people are, you know, faster, happier, healthier, 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 um, smarter. And they actually encourage other people by the fact that it isn't just a pecking order thing. They actually encourage other people. They will slow down and train at their level. They will um, be a, a good um, kind of ambassador for sport and ultimately they will um, keep doing it because they don't break their body and they don't break the motivation and they don't break the brownie point bank good, good work. so thank you no thank you've you you've had very important input uh, well no what I've done is merely prodded at certain things on your telephone there on your iPhone <laughs> on my telephone on yes your telephone, on my, my cord yeah. on my corded, um, on their, corded and, telephone and uh, pointed out little facts there for you, Joe. Oh, thank you very much. made it easier because yeah. I know you didn't have any glasses. So next time, please come me ask some questions directly to Crocker no, 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 about I'm... anything from um, from cheese, which is a, a, an expert on cheese, um, cider, which he uh, is not an expert on, but he'd like to be doing more testing. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And yeah. uh, and anything to do with tires off road because I know sweet. It's only tires. It's only tires. It's only tires. Okay. Um, thank you for listening. Remember, train smart and I want to say keep dancing. <laughs> that again Sorry. you're not yeah. even you're not even a Bruce Forsyth right so thank you for listening thank you for downloading remember train smart and have fun have fun